Welcome to this One Time at Summer Camp, a podcast about summer camp. And I'm obviously, as always, here with Peter. Hey, that's me. And this week, we have on a very special guest, Aaron Stanger. Did I nail that? You got it. Perfect. Um, how, do, how do we know Aaron? Oh, I work with Aaron at a camp in Australia. And um, uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself and your history with working at camps. Uh, sure. Um, I've been working at a camp in Australia for past eight years. Um, seen a lot of international people come and go through the place and meet a lot of great people in the process, which is how we came to meet each other. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. I think there's a tendency on this podcast because me and Pete went to the same camp in America, even though we both went to another camp, we end up just talking about that one camp we both went to all the time yeah so i think it you know it is good to get someone on so we can talk about camps that weren't just that one camp in america yeah i'd be happy to tell you a bit more about australian summer camps well it's pretty much all year camp with australia uh the structure's a little bit different so uh, with australia it's more of a school camp environment so schools will take a whole year grade and go off to camp for three to five days and it's a great way for teachers to get to know students outside of the school environment and you know learn a bit more about the people they're teaching it is a very different system i guess to uh, camp moose pine you know we don't have teachers there uh, it's just a whole nother dynamic because i guess you guys have a buffer zone between you and the kids being the teachers. Yeah. Which, Is that right or am I it, just making stuff up? No, no, it's that's pretty right. It, um, and it can tend to work in your favour as well. Uh, you're generally only with the kids for three to five days. How long are you with them in a summer camp environment in America? Uh, at the camp I went to with Pete, Camp Moose Pine, uh, just a week unless the kids stayed over. Uh, at the second camp I went to, about a month. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I thought it went. I've unfortunately never worked at summer camps in America. But yeah, with with camps in Australia, it's solely organised through the schools. Schools take their different year grades to do camp. I think that's very similar to how it works in England. Is like we don't have summer camps, but then there are like school trips, basically. And what I would usually refer to as like activity centres as opposed to maybe like a summer camp or a camp. But yeah. Yeah, that's more like what we worked at. Calling a camp an activity center makes me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm not sure why. Uh, I don't know. I think that's just. What I'm we picturing just a big gym. Well, you know, we went to an activity center in the south of France and did some sailing. Just, da- just, dang just hum- you, British people! <laughs> You're like, oh, shall we pop over to France? I did like four school trips. Uh, one, the first one was on the Isle of Wight. Second one was south of France, and then we went to Wales, and then we went to Scotland. So I've never really done a camp in England, but yeah. That's because there's no such thing as fun in England. Pete was, um, I was actually talking about camp with Pete last night, and he was talking about how kids don't have the means to look up things when you're at camp. So you can sort of get away with anything, and Mm. then maybe it won't be till they get home that they can actually fact check anything. So I had a young group of uh, probably around about uh, 10 to 12-year-olds, and there was a good hundred of them. We were doing our nighttime campfire story, and they said they wanted a scary story. So I made up a story about drop bears. And I guess to explain what a drop bear is, imagine a koala 
give it fangs and a foamy mouth and make it extremely <laughs> aggressive. Um, the, the myth is that they hide in trees and will drop down on top of you and just eat you. Anyway, I go home for the night. I come back in the next morning to do the wake up and everything. And the teachers come up to me and they're like, so we got a problem. Half of those kids were up all night, absolutely scared that the drop bears were going to come and get them. So you need to fix this problem. And I was like, all right, I'm on it. We'll sit them all down after breakfast and I'll have a chat to them and let them know the, the truth about drop bears. So we sit them all down and they're around the logs. I'm like, okay, apparently you're all quite scared of drop bears now. So the thing about drop bears is there's actually a repellent. They are highly allergic to folate and they don't like mint. And a really <laughs> good source of that is toothpaste. So if you get some toothpaste and put it on underneath your eyes like army paint, <laughs> the smell will go up into the trees and any drop bears for a good 100 meters will scatter and come nowhere near you. So all the kids run off into their cabins, start putting on toothpastes, walking and everything. <laughs> I get my 30 kids and I start to walk off to an activity and my boss is walking towards me. He's looking at these kids just covered in toothpaste and he's like, what is on their face? And I was like, toothpaste. And he said, why? And I said, drop bears. He went, okay, and just kept walking. <laughs> as, as is the case most of the time, because uh, shenanigans and fun is part of the job. Oh, it's so good. Because, like, <clears throat> I remember people trying to convince me about drop bears when I first got to Australia. It did seem a little bit far-fetched, but then... But then some people are just too convincing. Mm, yeah, that's it. I was uh, on a Kentucky in Europe, and there were some Australians trying to convince some Canadians about... Poop snakes, and they were so detailed and so convincing that in the back of my head, I'm thinking, are hoop snakes a thing? You know, tell a good story, and people like listening. <laughs> well, I, I like to do a two truths and a lie thing, like w- where I worked with a stranger, and um, I only tend to do it if uh, our kids come to camp without mobile phones. Because sometimes, if I try and do a two truths and a lie where they have to Google something, then I just I don't bother if they have the phone on because I'll just do it immediately. Uh, I just had an idea. Could we do two truths and a lie with Stanger about camp things? Um, my first year on the job, I had been working for about seven weeks. And on a Friday night, we decided to have a party at our staff house, as we'd like to do. That party transitioned onto the roof of a building and when it started to rain, we decided to say, let's get off the roof. In long story short, I fell off that roof instead of getting off it and ended up in hospital for a week. Uh, another story is I had a group of year eight boys that were, they, they were, they were giving me a bit the day before. So in the morning, I teed it up with the teacher and said, let's, let's play a prank on them. We'll give them a tsunami warning because we're close to the beach. <laughs> So for the, for the rest of the day, those boys were wearing PFDs and carrying around canoes thinking they were the smart ones. <laughs> <laughs> and um, canoeing can be quite a hazardous activity. Um, I have lost three phones while canoeing from being capsized until I learned that I could buy a Pelican case and just strap it to my PFD. So there's my three stories. <laughs> Well, if one of them is false, I'm going to go with the last one, just because it seemed like a you might have been buying time with the other two. Pete, do you want to weigh in on this one? For the sake of argument, I'll go number two. Uh, 
It is number two was the lie. Really? Did you just come up with that off the top of your head? No, it didn't happen to me. It happened to someone else. (laughs) (laughs) So there's where the lie is. Oh, it's just like, that's just too good. Yeah, that's, yeah. Thing, it, they all happened, but um, one happened to someone else. So, mm. and that's usually the best way to play two truths and one lie. Is if you're panicking, you are you tell a story that belongs to someone else because it's not yours, and then it's a lie. <laughs> mm. Oh, that's clever! And also, you know, you said you didn't get off the roof; you fell off the roof. I would argue you got you did get <laughs> off the roof <laughs> in the most efficient way possible. Yes, well. The fastest way possible. The fastest way. <laughs> oh, I like how we've had a lying to campers story, because that's good. So uh, an episode we're going to do in the future is uh, kids say the darndest things. Um, you got a story of kids saying some crazy stuff? Yeah. Yeah, I got a, a recent story. Do you guys work with special needs groups often in American camps? Well, Camp Moosepine wasn't a specifically, like, special needs camp, but we they definitely had campers coming through to. and, you know, yeah. certain counsellors would more of the time spend spend time with those kids. Well, when you're bringing a whole year group from a Sydney school to camp, those year groups often consist of two to three hundred kids. So you'll mm. quite often have a selection of kids with special needs in those groups. And because I'd been working at the camps for a while, I quite often worked with the special needs groups. I knew how they like to operate. I knew what worked best for them. And I had a special needs group recently and we had a young boy in the group, but I'm going to, I'm going to call him Toby, but, um, Toby for two days straight was, um, do I have to go on the giant swing? Uh, no, no, Toby, you don't have to go on the giant swing. Ah, shit. All right, I guess I'll do it. All right, Toby, let me clip you in. Oh, no, release me, release me. So he was, that was him nonstop for two days on every activity. Do I have to do it? Release me. But then Toby was a different person on Friday morning when he went to leave that day. I was talking Mm. to him in the morning and he comes up to me and he goes, would you like to know a fact about the Hulk? It's like, sure, Toby. (laughs) He looks at me with the dead straight eyes and goes... He has a big, muscular, green penis. And this is coming from a, a 14-year-old boy with autism just staring me straight down. And I was just like, cool, Toby. Cool. <laughs> well, now we all, everyone on this uh, that's listening to this knows a fact about the Hulk that they can tell people. <laughs> yeah. Um, when he went to leave for the day, I hopped on the bus to say goodbye to all the kids and he jumps up in front of me and intercepts me. And I was like, Toby. And he goes, I just wish I knew how big his penis really was. And you saw all the other kids on the bus just kind of like look in shock. Like, did he just say that to an adult? And I look at Toby and I put my hand on his shoulder. I've gone, mate, I'm pretty sure everyone thinks that. It's just you're the only one brave enough to say it. <laughs> oh, that is a that is a darndest thing. <laughs> and I'll never be able to watch a Marvel movie again. <laughs> just wondering how big is it? Poor Natasha Romanoff. <laughs> oh my days! Oh, my that's that's one of those stories that we wouldn't have been able to tell as well. Do you know what I mean? If someone had written it, like we needed, <laughs> we needed a first-hand account of that. What about jokes you like playing on kids? Like, you know, innocent jokes. Mm. Uh, one of my favorite ones is because we do so many heights activities and we wear helmets and harnesses at every activity, you'll see a kid just 
running across the camp for whatever reason, just sprinting dead out, and you would just yell at them, no running without a helmet! And they will just <laughs> stop and look at you and then keep walking like they're in trouble until they realize that it's stupid and then they start running again. <laughs> I, I feel like I had a full repertoire of things like that, and I've forgotten most of them. You dropped your pocket? That one, that one's great. Point at the ground and say you dropped your pocket. Oh, uh, we kind of addressed in our episode about lying to kids. Gently bullying kids is uh, just the best part of the job. It's mm. not really part of the job, but you add it to the job. I've said nothing mean spirited. No, well, I've said for a long time that one of the best parts of the job is being able to lie to children and have fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, if you can't do that, you've got nothing because you're certainly not getting paid a lot. <laughs> It can, it can be stressful, but it, it's like once you get the hang of timing your activities, mm-hmm. it's, it's fairly easy. That's something that I enjoyed about like working at that camp is that, um, you know, I learned to run, it's like 40 to 50 different activities that we have, um, yeah, at, at the camp as opposed to, you know, in America, I spent all, all of my summers doing one activity, which was sailing, you know, so like it's, it's been really cool to, you know, yeah, it's like you run be... archery and rock climbing and then sailing and the giant swing and high ropes and, and the next day you'll be canoeing or down the beach or yeah. going for a rainforest walk. Zip line. Yeah. It's um Yeah. That's wild. You get a lot of people who can barely run their one activity. Yeah. At our other camp, you know, they got archery and they just can't get it. I mean, I definitely found that like some of my activity briefs were better than others. Definitely. I think I do a Pretty darn good archery brief, you know? Any of my heights activity briefs were yeah. spot on. See, one of uh, Stanger's jobs, too, would be, like, um, fixing some of the heights activities. So, like, I don't really know what goes into that, but... Just, well, you'd check over a lot of the safety equipment and loading points on all the heights activities. So, yeah. if you're doing a, a climbing activity, where top rope belaying the kids, so... A rope has to go up through a pulley or a friction block and then back down to the child it's being tied onto. So you just got to get up and check all those connection points. So a lot of that was just cleaning rust, checking split pins on things and just making sure everything was looking like it was meant to be. As long as it looks like it's meant to be like that. It doesn't have to be like that. Honestly, it is, <laughs> it is a lot of the job. If you see the same activities every day, you will be walking along one day and you'll look at it and go, what's different about that today for some reason? And then you'll realize that, you know, it's like, you know, someone's dropped one of the ropes and you're like, oh, that's it. Instead of there being three ropes on that wall, there's only two because one's fallen down. But it's Mm. those little things that your brain notices that are slightly different. Um, Because what's our our tallest activity? uh, Our tallest activity would be the rock climbing wall. Oh, no, that would be one of the giant swings. The giant swings get to... 16 and a half meters if you want to math that that's lots of meters that's okay that's like um, 50 feet 50 feet yeah so um that's wild what was what was the best meal at the camp you can both answer whatever yeah, whatever, whatever the chef cooked for the teachers was the best so it's interesting the way because you have teachers coming Essentially, as long as the teachers are happy, they'll keep coming back and bringing the kids. Not that obviously, you know, we didn't work to make sure that yeah, the kids fuck were the kids. Am I right? <laughs> but I mean, the teachers are the one who organise the trip, and you want to make sure they have a good time. So yeah, the food that they got was 
Yeah, unreal. Of the food that the kids get, probably burgers, hamburgers. I'm picturing this is like the Titanic, and the kids are just like the crew people, like underneath the boat. Yeah, kind of close. Yeah, it's definitely a. Yeah, the kids are keeping that ship afloat, and the the teachers are enjoying their little good meals. Yeah, this is like a floating restaurant above where the other kids eat. <laughs> I guess at uh, American Summer Camp we had like six kitchen staff or something. Um, it's the the instructors that essentially do the catering for the students. So when the kids come through to get their food, it's all the instructors that come in and line up and starts help serving and everything. Sure. So you're eating with the kids? Uh, after yeah, the you kids? can. You definitely can. And I had done for a very long time until you just get sick of eating the same food and start bringing your own food. And then eventually you go, oh, that hamburger doesn't look so bad anymore. Yeah. And then you go back to it. <laughs> yeah, I like. I would eat pretty much everything that they serve. The only thing I wasn't a particular fan of was the spag bowl. I was just about to say, I can't eat spaghetti um, bolognese anywhere anymore because of that place mm. every monday and wednesday night spaghetti bolognese but but you can imagine that like even at summer camp right they um you have the same menu over the course of the week and then it gets repeated the next week for the next group of kids um and that can get a bit tiring over the course of 10 weeks but mm. imagine that same menu repeated twice during a week like monday and wednesday dinner is the same tuesday and thursday dinner is the same and then, um, and all breakfasts are the same. Multiply that by 40 weeks. That sounds um, actually despicable. Yeah, you get over it yeah. very quick. Well, yes. I, I did, uh, the other camp that I went to where we had the kids for a month. Mm. And mostly, for the most part, the, the menu recycled every two weeks. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So, you know, you didn't, yeah, ate spaghetti once a fortnight rather than twice a week. <laughs> Also, just like I'm, I'm kind of scarred by like buttering toast. Ah, oh, like so I, much I haven't toast. been there as long as Stanger, but like I can only imagine the number of loaves of bread that you must have toasted. Too, like, many. Too many. The later years, not as many as you'd think. Yeah. Um, just being working there for so long, it gets to the point where uh, you will have your bosses just go, "No, you've got to let the people who are learning to do the job do the job." Mm. You're like, that's fine. I'll take a step back and let them butter toast. <laughs> like, I, yeah, what a big step. Conservative estimate. I reckon I've done at least like 200 loaves. I reckon I've done hundreds of pallets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, God. Um, Stanger, do you have a, uh, uh, like a, a bit more of a meaningful story? You know, like a, it hit me in the feels. <clears throat> um, I had a girl come to camp once, and she was about 14 years old. And she didn't want to do anything. She didn't want to be there, and you could tell straight away. So within the first activity, she's like, no, nah, I don't want to do anything. You can't make me. And I was like, you're right, I can't make you, and I'm, I'm not going to. I said, but whatever's going to make you the next three days easier for you, just let me know. Um, and she said, oh, okay. And she slowly started to open up over those few days. So she felt like she was forced to go to camp. My parents made me go. The school made me go. I didn't want to go. And I thought it was going to be terrible. But you didn't be as mean as everyone else. So I get this letter back saying, thank you so much for being my instructor. The time I spent at camp with you was amazing. 
because you didn't force me to do anything I didn't want to. And it was essentially a letter just saying, thank you for being, for, for treating me like an adult. Mm. Um, she said that she thought she was going to have the worst time ever and she was just going to be depressed the whole time. But I got her doing other things. It was like, you don't want to do this activity. That's fine. Can you help me be a safety monitor? Can you be the person that everyone comes up to and you have to tick them off to say your harness is on correctly? You can now go line up. And she's like, yeah, I'll do that with you. So she helped manage my equipment for me and make sure everyone was dressed appropriately and had their equipment on correctly. Mm. And just finding other ways to make her time more enjoyable. It's like camp wasn't for her. So let's, let's find what is. But the fact that this girl middle managed, um, middle management, that's more her speed. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it was the fact that this girl wrote back to me and sent in, like, it was a handwritten letter that was sent in as well. Um, that, that my boss gave me, he's like, there you go. And yeah, it was, it was touching because sometimes you would have groups of kids that were, uh, just not nice people. Um, and you'd be thinking, why, why do I do this job? Why do I let people of such a young age abuse me? But then you think about the people you've affected. I think, I think just being able to go back and read that letter on those hard days was, was a good thing. It's, uh, you know, you don't get those interactions all that often. Um, but when you do, it just oh, it makes it so worth it. Hey? Yeah. Cause no, I, I live on the assumption that after maybe a week or two away from camp, most kids will forget that you existed because their life is important to them and it should be. Mm. But, um, to, to know that I made an effect in someone's life and they will probably remember me for doing that and pay that kind of respect forward when they see someone in their position. That, that means a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I, I went to this camp you guys went to when I was um, in year seven, so when I was like 12. I have almost no memory of it, except I was the only one who hadn't fallen into the muddy water in that like mud run, <laughs> mud run or whatever. I was the only one who hadn't, and the instructor figured that out, and he was essentially like, all children... Your new goal is to get him in the mud. <laughs> yeah. And I, yeah, I we, was, we'd be like that. Um, if I wrote a letter, it wouldn't have been a nice letter to that council, <laughs> to that um, instructor. Yeah. <laughs> well, when I say the only memory I have, well, I've got no memories of camp. The only one I really have is like uh, those little um, photo snapshots in your brain of, I remember looking at the rock climbing wall. Mm. I remember looking at archery. That's probably it. I do not remember the faces of instructors or names or anything meaningful. So, yeah, it's, um, it is a harsh reality when you're spending three days with a bunch of kids and you're trying to have an impact on their life in some kind of positive way, but chances are slim. No, I, you do get that with all of the camps or all the camps I've been to. There's a lot of the kids who are turds and you'll never forget them. There's a lot of the kind of in the middle kids who you might forget a lot sooner. Uh, but you know, some, every now and again, you feel like you do really change someone or really help someone. And I think you both remember that for a very long time and it kind of reinforces why you're there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I have a bit of a running thing with this podcast where when we get someone on, and they go to a camp that I haven't been to. I like to ask how far away from a Walmart they are 
because usually in Canada and the US, you're not too far away from a Walmart. But this is Australia. We don't have Walmart. How far away from a Kmart were you at your camp? 35-minute drive. 35-minute drive. Is, it, is there a Kmart there or is it a Big W? Uh, I'm assuming there's one there. If not, mm. then it'll be an hour. You know, yeah, I, I, it might be like an hour. Um, Do you still have that, uh, you know, at the American summer camps, there's sort of a dependence on the Walmarts around... Do you still have a bit of a necessity to go to Kmart's and things like that once in a while to pick up random things that you might need for camp? Not really, no. I was, I was just about to say, like, when I, when I answered how far away it was, I, I answered so quick, it sounded like I, I go there on such a regular basis, I know it to the minute, but no, um, actually, yeah, don't, don't go to Kmart that often at all. Well, it's so you guys, 50 minutes. 50 minutes, 50 there you minutes. go. So, what if you need, like, a laundry basket or something like what where do you get your things that you need okay so if you you somehow needed a laundry basket like just say ah i broke it i'm gonna buy a new one on the weekend um i would yeah i would go to a kmart or a big w which is another walmart style store yeah there aren't really any stores in australia that do like everything yeah there's like there's a costco now um in newcastle but I doubt it's anywhere as big as the Costco's in America. Mm. Um, surely not, surely not. But yeah, I guess that that is interesting because it would make it very different in that way to the summer camps we've been to mm. overseas. Like, you're sort of reliant on that. Yeah, like 20 minutes to the nearest supermarket, 30 minutes from the nearest fast food, pretty much. And and generally when you look at the way a Kmart's laid out, uh, no shade on Kmart, sorry, but... um. <laughs> Uh, they they don't have as big a selection as what you'd want. So when you walk in and look at what they've got, you tend to look at it and go, well, now I'm just going to go check a specialty store for camping stuff instead mm. of buying from the few items that they've got there. Or it's like, yeah, you, you just, you prefer to go to a, a store that's dedicated to what you're looking for. We are going to now buckle up and drive on into the Wisdom Zone. The wisdom, the wisdom zone. zone. The wisdom zone. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott, Peter Davy. That, that everyone is stunned by how profound that was. Yeah. So I think we'll just... Speechless. Um, you know, food for thought. So, um, thank you for that conversation, Stanger. Um, just to finish off the uh, episode, we've uh, we've been getting some emails in at last, which is nice to know that uh, you know at least some people are listening. Um, so we've got an email here from Connie. Um, she's a fan. Uh, she's a huge summer camp person. Went to a sleepaway camp for eleven years as a kid, and and has worked there for seven years, um, and has been working mainly at um, day camps. I mean, sorry, that's, not, that's 18 years at a camp. Yeah. That's a long last time. That's dedication. Um, even has a camp tattoo in honour of it. Um, so Connie was asking if we can do an episode talking about the pros and cons between sleepaway camps and day camps. And even just like the different camps that there are around America, which is awesome. Yeah. Thanks for writing in, Connie. 
if you want to get in touch, send us an email yourself, get it read out. Um, we've, we've had a bit of a backlog with the way episodes have been working and stuff, but you know, we're kind of back on it. Um, so if you want to send us an email, this one time at summercamppod at gmail.com or Instagram, this one time at summercamppod, hit us up. Aaron, do you have anything you want to plug? I was going to ask that, yeah. Uh, just love and respect people. Deep. Well, um, I'm not as zen as him. I'm going to, I'm actually going to plug something this week. Uh, a few years ago, I actually did another podcast with our producer, Don Tino, and another friend of ours. Uh, that podcast is called The Suburban Assassins. It's a podcast about me and two friends spending a summer trying to murder one another in a very intense game. If you want to check that out, uh, it's on Spotify and I think all the other places you get podcasts. Uh, that is this one time at Summer Camp. Wait, that's, that's us. Yeah, that's us. Fuck the pod. <laughs> I can't help but plug our pod. That is The Suburban Assassins. Check it out if you've got nothing better to listen to. Or just re-listen to several of our episodes, you know. Or that. Either way, you're getting me. Been a pleasure. I think that is it for this week. We See will... you next time. Bye. See ya.